0: good to be with you here this morning and to be able to share God's Word with you. Uh, We came up to Edinburgh just yesterday afternoon in time to catch the first day of summer. not sure if it's the last day of summer knowing Edinburgh, but it was a beautiful day. Uh, I want to start just by thanking you for praying for uh, Anne-Marie and I and our family, Uh, those of you who've prayed over many years, but particularly those who've prayed Over this last year and those who prayed for Rebecca, as some of you will know she had a very uh, nasty road accident uh, almost a year ago now and a number of people have asked about her and she is doing well. Um, She still has a bit of physiotherapy to complete, she's not quite back to running and doing all the things that she could do before Uh, but she's had, uh, we thank God, a very good recovery and she's actually this week in India at a friend's wedding and visiting uh, some of her husband's family there. Uh, so she's well enough to travel, but thank you for your prayers for her. I wanted to just to show you a, a map to show you where Vietnam is that Amory has just been talking about. I'll make a few more references to Vietnam as we look at God's word. But just so you have a clear impression, it's that red country in the middle there under the big threatening mass of China and across the sea from the Philippines where we first started. And if you'd like to get any more information, we have a little booklet about stories from Vietnam to help you pray. And Amory will be at a table over there. If you're a member when you go and get your letter, you can go and get your prayer booklet for Vietnam as well at the same time. Well, last night we were looking at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14 when he says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. And we asked the question, when will the end come? How close are we to completing the task? And looked at a comment by a theologian called G.E. Ladd who said, I do not know. I do not need to know. I. I know only one thing, Christ has not yet returned, therefore the task is not yet done. When it is done, Christ will come, so long as Christ does not return, our work is undone. And this morning I want to look at what that work consists of, and I want to look at that through looking at this story from Acts that we had read to us. And Acts is about... The expansion of the church, it starts with the promise of Jesus that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we begin to see this worked out in Acts chapter 5. We see this growing ministry uh, with miracles taking place. The church is growing. There are big teaching meetings in the temple. There are signs and wonders, healings. Lots of sick people are being brought and are being healed. People who are tormented with evil spirits are being brought, and they are being released from the torment of the evil spirits. Lots of people are joining them, and lots of people are fascinated by what's happening, but are afraid to join them. And we get this picture of of people trying to watch from afar and not show that they're interested, but really they would like to know what's happening there. And people who are too far away in the countryside coming up to Jerusalem to actually join in because they can't possibly see from how far away they are. And the authorities are watching too. And they don't like what they see. They don't like this new movement. They don't like this overturning of the things that they have held important and the teaching of truths that they don't agree with. And their reaction is to take the apostles and have them thrown in jail. And our story is about a jailbreak. In the middle of the night, an angel comes and opens the door, and they're released from jail. It's dramatic. It's the middle of the night. Uh, It's an appearance of an angel. It's, you know, would make a good movie scene. But what is the point, what is the purpose of this jailbreak? Because actually, they don't escape, they don't get away. Within a few hours of the jailbreak, they're back before the authorities, Um, they're back in court anyway, they haven't escaped what would have happened the following day. So why did God do this? Why did God send the angel? And I think the answer is the message that the angel gave to them. And I want to focus on the command of the Lord to them when he says to them, go stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life. Go stand in the temple courts and go tell the people all about this new life. First they are to go. They had to go, not to run away, not to get away from the situation they found themselves in, but to go back to where they've been called, to go back to where the people are. The temple for them is the place where the people gather. It's not particularly the place uh, in in this context um, for offering sacrifice, but it's the place with the open courts and a crowded city where people can come together and hear God's word. And they are told to go, to go back to that work. To use their freedom, uh, not for their personal safety, not to sneak out of the city and go somewhere else, go, go back to the work that they've been called to. And to go to where the people are. And of course, that's one of the first steps of mission, to go to where the people are. And where are the people? And if we could jump forward in the slides to... map of East Asia. Uh, It's a few slides on. We'll get there in a moment. There, Uh, That's the part of the world that OMF is involved in. Uh, We don't do the whole world. We started as the China Inland Mission when all the missionaries were thrown out of China in about 1950. We went overseas from China into the surrounding parts of East Asia. There are 2.2 billion people in that part of the world. Some of them live in countries where we can go freely, like Japan and Thailand, where you can get a visa as a missionary, you can preach the gospel, you can visit door to door, you can preach on the streets if you think that's helpful, you can do whatever you like in many ways. Most of the people live in the countries colored red on that map, Uh, countries which don't welcome people who identified as missionaries. Countries which for many years uh, we considered closed countries because they really were quite closed. After all the missionaries were thrown out of China, there was a period where it was very difficult for anybody from the West to get into China. And then China began to open up, not to missionaries, but to people who could help China in ways that China wanted help, foreign experts who could teach their skills, who could teach English. And all of those countries are now open to varying degrees, so that we no longer call them closed countries, but creative access countries. Because it's possible to go in, not as missionaries, it's as if there's a big sign on the next slide which says, missionaries not welcome. Now, you won't really find that sign, Or you'll find a sign like that that I photoshopped a little bit. (laughs) But it's the reality. Uh, You say, I'm a missionary, I want a visa. You won't get one. You say, I've come to teach English. You say, I've come to run a business. You say, I've come to, to help develop the healthcare. Then you may get a visa. And we've realized that in these countries, whether it is China or Vietnam or even North Korea, where it is possible to go and live for the Lord, In North Korea. It's possible to get in. And where once we thought of them as close countries and now we think of them as creative access countries, sometimes I think they're just a bit more complicated countries. Sometimes I feel people have this feeling that we we have to squeeze our brains to try and think of ways to get in. Well that's true perhaps for North Korea. It takes a lot of patience to find a way into North Korea, but it's possible. But for China, For Vietnam, it's relatively easy. And our biggest problem, next slide, is not finding ways to get in, but finding the people willing to go in. And that's a bigger challenge than getting in there. And in fact, I was um, having one of my lessons one day with uh, a language helper in Vietnam, He, as well as helping me with my language, he was also a part-time pastor at the local Baptist church. And as we're having a conversation in Vietnamese, he says to me one day, he says, you know, Ian, I think it's easier to be a pastor in Vietnam than in America. And I go, "Uh, what? And we're having this conversation in Vietnamese, so I get him to repeat what he said probably twice, to make sure that actually I've understood what he's saying. And yes, he's saying, it's better to be a pastor in Vietnam than in America. So I say, oh, well, why do you think that? And he says, well, I've never actually lived in America, so it's a little bit theoretical on on his end, but he is a pastor in Vietnam. But he says, from what I understand, when you try and share the gospel with people in America, a lot of the time they're not interested. They think they know. They don't want to hear what you have to say. But when I share the gospel with people in Vietnam, nearly always they're interested. They want to hear more. They want me to come back and tell them more. So I think it's much better to be a pastor here than in America. Well, I don't know so much about America either, but I know in the UK what he describes of America is often true, isn't it? You want to share with people they think they know. They don't want to know. And he's saying, they do want to know. Perhaps you'd like a better job. <laughs> Come to Vietnam. I said, well, what about older people and younger people? Do you find a difference there? And he said, well, not really. I find the older people and the younger people, they're both interested. The older people take a bit longer to understand. Sorry, that was his words. But, but they're interested. I said, what about people in the city and people in the countryside? Because he's from the countryside and he's working now in the big city. But he said, no, in, in both places, I find people are interested and want to know more. And we find we are at a time of opportunity in Vietnam where it is relatively easy to be there where there are lots of opportunities, whether it is English teaching, or to be involved in student work, or training, or bivocational professionals who are committed both to their profession and also to intentional disciple-making, or simply to be there as tourists, to be there to share God's message, to go with that message. And I'm struck as I look at this passage that, God has two types of messengers that he uses. He has angels and he has human beings. He has angels which uh, appear quite a number of times in Acts to do various different things. Uh, In Acts chapter 5 and Acts chapter 12, they rescue people from prison. Uh, In Acts chapter 8, uh, they prompt Philip to go to the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts chapter 10, they prepare Cornelius to send for Simon Peter. And they exercise judgment in Acts chapter 12 with Herod, and Paul is encouraged during his shipwreck adventure. And and so angels are used, and people are used. And if you have good news, if, if you have something you definitely want delivered, who would you use? Now, my impression of angels is they're reliable. You give them the message and you can forget about it. The message will be delivered. Now my impression of people is they're not quite so reliable. You give them something to do and you need to follow up, you need to encourage, you need to make sure that it gets there because it might not get there if it's just up to them. But God doesn't send his good news to be shared by angels. He uses them to prompt us, to push us, to release them from prison that they would do the task. But he wants his message for people to be delivered by people. Because the good news, the good news is not like a pizza. It's not just to be delivered. It's to be brought by people and it's to be lived out so that they will hear the good news and they will see the good news in action in people's lives. Sorry, this is crackling a lot, isn't it? I wonder if it will help if I take off my jacket. Okay, that was the technical interlude. (laughs) Where were we? The gospel is not a pizza. Okay, if you don't remember anything else from this morning, just remember (laughs) the gospel is not a pizza. And the application of that is it needs a person not just to deliver it, but to bring it and show it and live it out. Uh, I was struck by a slide that somebody put in a, a presentation on the unfinished task. Uh, for omf that just showed who in the world has fre- has, knows people who are Christians? And particularly in Asia, only one person in ten knows somebody who is a Christian. So what is their opportunity to see that good news lived out when they don't even know somebody who is a Christian? So we had to go. We had to go despite the opposition. The ministry was growing, but so was the opposition to the ministry. Uh, The authorities were turning against them for a variety of reasons. There was jealousy, there was fear, there was control, uh, all these different issues. But they were to go anyway. And they were to go ready to speak the message. They were to go and I want to particularly focus on these words uh, uh, and I've lost these words (laughs) to share all the words of this new life. This new life. This new life, this life, this life above all is the life of Jesus, And one of the things that strikes us in Vietnam is, is just how many people don't know about the life of Jesus. As Emery mentioned, our team uh, includes a variety of different nationalities. We have some who teach English and some who teach Korean, because they're Koreans. And probably the second most popular language to learn is Korean. And so this lady in the next slide she is teaching Korean in one of the top universities in Hanoi. And the exercise in her class is to talk about your hero. And each member of the class has to tell the class who their hero is, what their hero has done, and why they're their personal hero. So she sees the teacher, she needs to set the pattern. And she talks about Jesus, Jesus Christ, what he has done, and why he is her personal hero. And then she worries a bit because it's not really advisable to talk about Jesus in the classroom in a university in Hanoi. Uh, And she prays hard, I'm sure, but there are no consequences out of that. But there is a shock because of the 30 students in her class, the response of 29 is, Who is this Jesus Christ? We have never heard of him before. One has a Catholic background. He has heard of him. But for the rest, it's a name they do not know. And it's hard to think, isn't it, of 30 students in a class in this country who do not even know the name of Jesus. It's Jesus who is alive and reigns. And the fact that Jesus is alive is so important to us. In Vietnam, probably the most important person is a guy called Ho Chi Minh. And this is where his body lies in state. He died in 1969, so it's a long time ago now. Uh, But his body is embalmed there. And each morning, thousands of Vietnamese will line up to pay their respects. And it's a very serious, it's a very solemn affair to go there and pay their respects. To Ho Chi Minh, who once was alive, but now is dead. But Jesus, who once was alive and briefly was dead, but is alive again, that is the good news of somebody who is so completely different. And Jesus, who is the only way to life. Jesus, who gives life. In Vietnam, we're struck by the fact that for so many people, ancestor worship is the important thing. I was recently involved in some survey work in about 79 churches in northern Vietnam. And we asked people, in the family that you grew up, what religion was practiced? And then we asked, in the family that you grew up, did you practice ancestor worship? Most of the families had a religion, but even those that didn't have a religion, 85% also practiced ancestor worship, or did practice ancestor worship, but didn't think it was religion. And ancestor worship isn't something that most of us coming from Edinburgh understand very well, and it's a mixture, uh, depending on who's practicing it, uh, of, of respect for ancestors, through honoring ancestors, through caring for ancestors. You know, we worry about who will look after us as we grow old and before we die, They worry about who will look after them after they die or even appeasing ancestors because if you don't look after them properly, then they will allow or cause bad things to happen to you and to the family. And one of our language helpers, another language helper, said to us once, she said, for us Vietnamese, the dead are more important than the living because of this focus on the ancestors. How can we share Jesus who gives life? is the only way to life. And Jesus who changes lives. Sometimes people are concerned that missionaries change culture. Well, certainly we long that the good news of Jesus changes lives. One of our teams is focused on one of the minorities called the Tai Dam and they visited a village, and this man who'd particularly been involved as one of the spirit doctors appeared to have believed and followed Jesus, but they really weren't quite sure because he hadn't had very much information, and they, and they weren't sure whether he'd really understood what he said he'd believed or the stories that they'd told him. And they went back, and they asked how he was getting on, and he told them a story. Uh, two tie-down parents from that people group had come to see him because their son was sick and they'd given him medicine, but he didn't seem to be getting better. And they asked him, would you speak and make sacrifice to the spirits for our son? Because that's what he did previously. He said, sorry, I don't do that anymore. But I can pray to the creator God and to his son Jesus and ask him to make him well. how much will that cost? Is that what the pastor asked you when (laughs) you ask the pastor when you ask him to pray? But he'd done this for his living. They thought perhaps he'd upgraded to a superior service with a superior price. But he said, no, I don't charge anymore, that's free. So they said, okay, please pray to this creator God for our son. And he prayed, and the son got better. And our team member was encouraged to see that this former spirit doctor really had turned away from the spirits and from his livelihood to follow Jesus. It was real, this new life. And we had to tell all about this new life. And, and in OMF, our, our mission statement is that we share the good news of Jesus Christ in all its fullness with East Asia's peoples to the glory of God. And one of the things that I've I've learned more and more over our different years in mission is just how many ways that the good news is good news. And when we first come to Christ, there's often one particular aspect of the gospel that we grab onto because it is the thing that speaks into our lives and is good news for us. But then as we go on, we find that there's many aspects of the good news. And one of the pictures that I love is the picture of the good news of Jesus like a multifaceted diamond. And the many facets include forgiveness for sin and freedom from shame and deliverance from fear, the gift of the Spirit, belonging to a new family, reconciliation, healing, joy, peace, purpose. And I haven't exhausted all the different aspects of the good news. And one of the things in sharing about this new life is is, is finding out what aspect of the good news grabs this person, speaks into their situation, speaks into the way that they're feeling the effects of sin and which God has answered, dealt with those effects of sin in the person and work of Christ. And then, bringing them and then teaching them the whole and we're all always discovering more and more of the whole of all that God has done for us in Christ. All about this new life. It's something we we begin to learn when we first follow Christ but we continue to learn and we continue to pass on and as, as we pass on In our Bible study that we had in the Philippines, we went through different passages, and it was often sort of putting out there a different aspect of the good news and seeing what it was that spoke to people. With one lady, it was when we did the story of Cornelius. She'd once had a boyfriend called Cornelius, and perhaps that made her listen more attentively. I don't know. But when she saw this good man get saved, it communicated to her, For somebody else, it was a story of the prodigal son. And when we worked for the story of the prodigal son, that spoke to him. Different aspects of this multifaceted, this wonderful, this amazing good news that addresses all that is wrong and all that we restored in Christ. So we had to go tell all about this new life, and we are to go in the confidence that God is sovereign, and perhaps that's the other thing that this prison break is about. Perhaps this is what gives Gamaliel later the confidence to speak out in the Sanhedrin. It demonstrates that it is God, not the high priest who decides who in jail. If they're going to appear before the Sanhedrin, it is because God allows it, not because they decided it. It demonstrates that the good news of Jesus is not jailed because the people in the temple hear it again. The people in the council hear it. And if you read through to the end of this chapter, the whole city hears it. And the end of the chapter ends on this triumphant verse that day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they are never stopped teaching and preaching the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. God is sovereign. And God is sovereign in Vietnam. Amory mentioned that there were, we had two families in Vietnam back in the, the era, uh, which some of you will call the Vietnam War. Uh, in Vietnam we call it the American War because they had lots of wars, and that distinguishes it for them. Uh, one of those couples was actually a couple sent out from Charlotte Chapel, Paul and made a contento. So, we feel privileged to be following in, in their steps in a small way. Uh, but somebody from another organization who had been with CIM, MWEC, was asked in the middle of the Vietnam War, which was a long war, and they were asked in, in 1968, it was a war between the North and the South, and between the Communists and the Americans, and, and the fear was that the Communists would be successful and the South would be taken over. And he was asked, well, what would this mean for the church? And his answer was a communist takeover would mean the annihilation of the church. In 1975, the communists succeeded and the communists took over the whole country. In 1975, there were about 48 million Vietnamese people. Forty years later, that had almost doubled to 92 million. In 1975, there were 160,000 Christians. Forty years later, that increased to 1.6 million. A communist takeover had not meant the annihilation of the church, but the growth of the church. So, in Vietnam today, with 96 million people, there are perhaps 1.6 million Christians. But Anne-Marie mentioned the minorities and the the ethnic Vietnamese, the big majority people, and amongst the minorities, you find three-quarters of the Christians. And amongst the ethnic Vietnamese, just a quarter of the Christians. So it's like there are big, healthy churches up in the mountains somewhere, but hardly any in the city. And there's a big difference north and south. Between the south, where perhaps 1% of the Vietnamese are Christian, and in the north, where it's 0.05%, where Amory mentioned this, you will need to stop 2,000 people to find a Christian. But God has been sovereign. God continues to be sovereign. And we move forward with the confidence that this gospel will be preached to all nations. It will happen. It's God's promise. He will do it. But we move forward, too, with the knowledge that God's sovereignty doesn't necessarily mean no suffering. Because the end of this story is the apostles are released, but before the apostles are released, They are beaten, they are flogged, and they rejoice because they love being flogged, I don't think because they were masochists, but because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. G.K. Chesterton, a writer of an older generation, says Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. I don't know if that describes your life, but it seems to be quite a good description of the apostles in Acts and their experience. They were fearless, happy, and in trouble. As God speaks to us, as God calls us to go out and be part of sharing this good news, do we go out with that confidence that there might be trouble? But God is in control. God knows what he's doing, and he will do it. I know as I look at you this morning that you're not all called to go to Vietnam, unfortunately. You're not all called to leave Edinburgh and go overseas. But we're all called to be part of sharing this good news with Jesus. We're all called to speak to the people that we are related to, the people that we know, who know a Christian because they know us. We're all called to go, despite the opposition. There will be problems, there will be difficulties. We're certainly not promised that there won't be, in fact, we're promised the opposite. But we're promised that God will be with us, whatever those problems and difficulties. And we're to go to speak All about this life, this life of Jesus. The only life that really matters. The only one that can give life. The only one that can change lives. And we have this good news to share. Are we ready to go? Whatever God is speaking to you, are you ready to say yes? Are you ready to make sure that the people around you and perhaps the people far away from you have this opportunity to hear about Jesus, which we have had, which we've been rejoicing in in our singing this morning, but they have not yet had. Or perhaps they've not yet got to the point where they've heard that part of the good news that penetrates their armor and speaks to their heart and brings them Father, we do rejoice that you didn't just send an angel to announce something to us, but you sent your son, Jesus, to live out your good news and to lay down his life that there would be good news that gives us life. Lord, I pray that we, each of us, might be excited again by that good news. And we might be refreshed again in our determination to make sure that those around us hear that good news and hear it in in many different ways until they see how that good news applies to them, until they too turn to Jesus. We thank you that that good news is even now being shared throughout this world as a testimony to all nations. We thank you that you call us to be part of that. Lead us, Lord, that we might find our part in what you're doing and be faithful that many, many more might hear. To the glory of your name, amen.